The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Are you looking for a new job? Seriously, are you? You can tell me. It's not like I'm going to tell anyone. I'm Erin Delmore, and this is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal. Fact is, despite all the headlines about layoffs and a possible recession, the labor market remains strong. Hundreds of thousands of new jobs are being created every month. And a lot of people are leaving their jobs or thinking about it and looking for new ones. So we've got some advice for you on how to go about your search and how to build a resume that will get you hired. Last July, McKinsey & Company found that nearly 40% of employees worldwide, that's 13,000 workers in six countries across 16 industries, said they were considering leaving their jobs before the end of the year. And research just before the end of last year by the staffing firm LaSalle Network showed that a whopping 85% of employed workers across the U.S. are considering leaving their jobs in the next six months. It's a tricky dance applying for a job while you're already in one. Sure, the conventional wisdom is that employed job seekers have the edge. But there are all sorts of pitfalls to avoid, like tipping off a boss or colleagues who'd be, let's say, what? unwelcoming to the news. I can't believe she's leaving. Like asking for references. Can you give me a reference? While you're trying to keep your search under wraps. Yeah, I'll tell you more later. And like crafting a pitch-perfect answer to that tricky interview question. Why do you want to leave your current job? So we turn to someone who does this for a living and has some advice. Kara Heilman. For decades, she ran human resources departments at big names in healthcare like Kaiser Permanente and Aramark Healthcare. Then she left the corporate world to become a career coach. Now she's the president of the International Association of Career Coaches, and she's helped thousands of people land new jobs. She's also the author of the book, The Art of Finding the Job You Love. Kara, right now you're a career coach, but you've had a few jobs over your career. And I'm going to guess that you applied for some of them while you were working at another company. (laughs) How did you go about it? I call that stealth mode. Stealth mode. It is actually the creme de la creme or the holy grail of all candidates when someone is in stealth mode. And as an executive recruiter, we would want to try to find people who were passive candidates. Passive candidates look happy. They love what they're doing. They love who they work for. So if you are employed and you're looking for another position, you're in stealth mode and you actually look like this holy grail of passive candidates. Okay. So if I'm looking for a new job, I need to be in stealth mode and I need to be a passive candidate. Happy, content. It sounds like dating. It is. There's so much about (laughs) finding a job that's like dating. And I talk about this all the time, not wanting to look desperate. It's like standing there and someone comes up to you and you're with all your friends and the person goes, hey, you want to go to the prom? And they're like, oh, you know, I already have someone to go to the prom with. And then he goes right next to the your girlfriend next to you. Hey, you want to go to the prom? Ugh. What about you? Right. So it's a smell of desperation. So folks who have jobs and are looking for new ones mm-hmm. need to find an open position that they think could be a good fit. They have to apply. And if they're so lucky, they have to go about doing the interview. So what makes it so challenging to go down that route while somebody's already holding down a job? It's a return on investment. The amount of time it takes in order to throw your name in a hat for a position is lengthy. And it can take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour to just apply for one position. Nothing about it is fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep, you're right. I'm going to be judged at every moment in this process, at every stage.、Mm-hmm. All of my own imposter syndrome ideas will come flaring up, and they do. The only fun time in this entire process is when you have an offer. That's it. There's an element to this where it's your job to psych yourself up and to be so excited about this opportunity, but at the same time you have to keep it quiet, don't you?、Mm. Or do you?、Mm. Do you tell your clients that they should keep their job search quiet in their current workplace? It really depends on what's the reaction going to be within the organization. If they're fairly sure that they're going to get kicked out or iced out or squeezed out of their current role, then、uh, it's not a good idea for them to make it public. But how can you be sure? Well, there are certainly signs. Back when I worked at another organization, I was leading talent acquisition for this company. The president of the organization said, "Hey, Kara, can you see from the back end who on LinkedIn of our employees?" Has put, I am secretly looking and only want recruiters. You know, uh oh. And I'm like, yes, I can.、Oh. And he said, if you ever find any one of our employees there, I want you to walk immediately over to my office and tell me. Wow. Right. So that he could do what? He would pull them into his office and say, Are you staying? Or are you going? I want people who are going to give 110 percent to the job. And if you don't want this and you can't give 110 percent, I'll go find someone else. So your advice, by and large. Do I tell my boss or do I not? If I'm not sure, don't say anything. Gotcha. Don't say anything. But in this hypothetical job search of mine, before I get to that moment, chances are I'm keeping my job search under wraps. Do people struggle with that? I mean, some、mm-hmm. people cannot keep a secret no matter what, and you're at work every day. There are people who struggle with that. <laughs> in that case, I then ask them to make a list of individuals they can trust completely within. Their work environment, so they have an outlet there to talk with someone. Take a look at those who are really close to you, individuals that you can trust. You can tell them the truth of why you're leaving. Everyone else, what is the story that you want your legacy to leave on? Let's say I'm doing pretty well in my job search, and they want to know if they can speak to people at my company or which references I can give them. What the heck do I do? Yep. Um, you want to pull together three to six references. A third of them will be individuals of which that are above you. It could be a boss. It could be a client. It could be、um, someone in a capacity that would be above you. One of them or two of them ought to be a peer, someone that you've worked with, loves you to death, and will say wonderful things about you. And then a third, you want it to be people who report up to you. Or customers in that type of sense,、huh. so that you can present a well-rounded list of professional references, but it doesn't necessarily need to be your boss. Oh, I always think that it has to be top-down、mm. people who managed you or your boss, but you're saying that it can be somebody you've worked with or someone you've managed, right? And then that gives somebody a fuller picture of what you're like to work with. I could see that.、Mm. Okay, that's exactly it. All right. What about the question people get in an interview when they're asked, "Why do you want to leave your current job?"、Hmm. Two things: you want to be truthful because we can tell. Really, we can tell when someone is not saying the truth. So, one, you want your answer to be truthful, but second thing, put you in a best light. Okay, let's say somebody is leaving because they can't stand their boss.、Mm-hmm. Kara, I'm guessing that if that person goes into the interview and they say, "I'm leaving because I can't stand my boss," that's not going to put them in the best light. Are they difficult to work with? Are they going to leave this job if they don't like people above them? So, how do you reframe that answer? Right. 
back to dating. Why do you want to go ahead and date someone else? Oh, because I can't stand my current boyfriend. Can't stand my current girlfriend. No one's going to want to date you. Yeah. It's like cringe. It's always better to be running towards something than running away from something. So if part of that truth is the more I think about you and your organization, the more excited I get. Oh, okay. So you're telling the truth. You eliminated a considerable chunk of it, but you didn't mention the boss. Yeah, I see it. And how about you in your own experience when you've gone from one job to another? What kind of reasons have you given for why you're making the move? And sincerely, why have you made the move? They have definitely been very legitimate reasons, like we relocated from Miami to California. That's a very good one. Right, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Another one was when our company was purchased by another organization and they were moving the entire facility from Irvine to Arizona and I didn't want to make the move. Sure. What I didn't say in that is they didn't offer for me to relocate to the Arizona office. And so those things, right, you wouldn't say that. It's like, would you go on a date and say, well, you know, I really have a negative balance in my bank account. I mean, you just, there are some things that are absolutely on. Closer to the vest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. When people come to you and they say they're looking for a new job, they might be bringing frustrations about the current work they do or about the path their career's taken. But sometimes do you find that people just have frustrations about work life itself? It's important for people to understand if they are in a wrong role and they ought to be doing something different, then they owe it to themselves to make their next move in that pivot. Nothing is more powerful than doing the work you're meant to do. I think very few of us are doing the work that they're meant to do. And yet we get so stuck in our careers. For me, example, human resources was not a great fit for me. Yet I had a bachelor's in human resources and my MBA in human resources at 20 years of human resources. I knew three years in, this was the wrong job for me. And I stayed. We feel like the barriers to exit are too high to make a move. And it sounds like that's the feeling that some people take with them when they're looking for a new job, when they already have one. Mm -hmm. That they feel that it's too hard to make a move. But it's such a mistake because life is so short that imagine waking up on Monday morning where you cannot wait to go to work. Life is too short to do something that you don't love to do. I understand the dignity of work in and of itself, that sometimes we do things that we don't love to put food on the table. I completely understand that. And yet, when we have the opportunity to move in a direction that really lights us up, we owe it to ourselves to do it. So Kara says, before you make the leap, figure out exactly why you're doing it. Maybe your current job with some changes will suit you fine. But once you set your eyes on a new role, keep your search quiet. Operate in stealth mode. Never chase. Manage the narrative around your exit. And don't forget that you're a badass. Next up, if you're going to make a job move, you'll need a stellar resume. But the ways resumes are being judged aren't the same as they used to be. We'll talk to someone who's looked at thousands of resumes as a recruiter and get her advice on how to write one that'll land the interview. That's next. Hold up. 
If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. If you're applying for a job today, you're almost certainly trying to get your resume in front of a human recruiter and past the AI-driven applicant tracking system. And knowing where your resume is going and how it's being evaluated is the toolkit you need in order to craft the best version possible. Michelle Reisdorf knows what it takes to put together a truly great resume. She started out in human resources reviewing resumes, and now she's a district president of the staffing services company Robert Half, where she oversees talent acquisition in Illinois and Indiana. Now more than 140 recruiters report to her, and Michelle says, three-page resumes? No thank you. Cover letters? She doesn't read them. But she's looked at thousands of resumes over two decades and knows what can score big with a recruiter or with the AI system judging candidates. 20 years ago, when I literally sat on a desk myself, it wasn't uncommon for us to see three-page resumes plus a cover letter. And today, honestly, the most powerful resumes make a punch in one page. Gone are the days that someone literally wants to pour through two and three pages of work history or experience to really identify whether or not you're the right person for the job. So what kinds of things are people doing that you think, oh, you don't need that anymore? That's old. We used to do it that way. (laughs) Cover letters. I will say probably 95% of people don't even bother to read a cover letter. I could honestly say I'm one of those people. Really? Even if it comes in with a resume, um, you know, because it's a lot of extra fluff. It's more powerful for you to have a strong profile statement that out of the gate, first couple of sentences at the top of the resume that tells me why I should be interested in you. And then just a strong resume. Honestly, I go right to the work experience, the skills, the certifications, kind of the action words or return on investment that you've provided past employers to decide whether or not I want to meet with you. The cover letter doesn't really do it for me. Got it. But you said to put an identification statement at the top. What's that? So we used to call it, um, it, it, it was almost your opening statement. And it used to be more of a paragraph. Whereas now it's really just maybe three sentences that is kind of a high level profile of your background and who you are or what grabs my attention that I should continue to read down that resume. It honestly sounds like the about me section on a LinkedIn profile. Absolutely, but a lot shorter. (laughs) But a lot shorter. Okay. Honestly, I still can't get over the part where you said you don't read the cover letters. Do I not need to be wasting my time on cover letters or is it it specific to the role? No, honestly, you know, so many companies nowadays are using applicant tracking systems. So to be honest with you, they're not really scanning that data or information into the system. Gone are the days that somebody physically opens a resume. Even if it comes in by email, it'll get scanned into a system fairly quickly. And really what those applicant tracking systems are looking for are those keywords, key skill sets that match the overall job description or need. And so the cover letter ends up becoming a lot of fluff that 
quite honestly, so many companies are so short staffed today that you don't have somebody probably sitting there eight to five reading every cover letter that comes in with every resume. Okay, so besides buzzy keywords, how else can I optimize my resume? Make sure that the same resume doesn't get used for every job that you apply for, right? Mm -hmm. It's so easy today with Microsoft Word and templates available to open up a resume and make a few tweaks to tailor it to the job that you're applying for. Representing clearly the skills that you have. It's not enough to have the skills. You have to be able to, in written form, communicate how you've used those skills and then back them up verbally. Um, Showing your impact. Like you need to be able to use results-driven words on the impact that you've made. It's not enough just to do a job. Like what was your impact to that organization? And then honestly, the big one for me is the attention to detail, spelling errors, grammatical errors, those types of things right away tell me that you might have the skills, but you don't have the attention to detail necessary. I mean, that will be the little tweak of a decision I'll make on whether somebody ranks higher than somebody else. I think a lot of people get stuck on, I did this, I did that. What are some of the words that they should be using in that space? I want to know about not only the action, but the actual results. A lot of people will use words like responsible for producing or responsible for managing, and they'll find themselves in the habit of using that same, what they appear as an action word over and over again. Whereas I want to see manage the staff of 20 resulting in scheduling productivity on a daily, monthly, and quarterly basis. Getting rid of the filler word of responsible for and going straight to that word of manage. Produced double-digit revenue results, five years running, which ranked me as the number one sales leader in my division. And how about soft skills? Can you think of someone who's given you a resume that tried to showcase something they're able to do either individually or as a team? Is there a way to do it well? So let a team of 30 in donations for the holiday toy drive, right? And while that's an admirable skill and shows you as a team player for the company, you may, again, drill down to the specific of organize the district team of eight offices, 100 people to donate over 500 toys to the Boys and Girls Club of America, right? Very much more specific and just shows your overall contribution, but also your leadership skills and the fact that you care about something other than just your eight to five job. Well, do do you care about that? When you see on a resume that somebody spent their time organizing the company's holiday toy drive and you're looking for, say, an account manager, do you care? Um, It depends on the role. In some cases, yes, I do care. Will I hone in or screen an applicant out because they didn't run the toy drive? No, but to see that they actually participated, cared, and you know felt equally passionate and successful about something that gave back to the community as their eight to five job. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Okay. The flip side, what have you seen where it's an automatic no? When someone gets too personal on their resume. So when they'll list out their reasons for, you know, leaving a job or something not working. Oh, do people do that? Um, They put their reasons for leaving the job on the resume? They may add comments about, you know, trying to explain maybe a layoff situation or, and we're just like, nope, get that off. Or like a personal where they try to fill a gap. So maybe, you know, a woman who has left the workforce for a couple of years to raise their family will try to fill that gap on the resume with, 
between this time and this time was a professional mom. Um, that's not something that an employer wants to, it, it just puts you in an uncomfortable situation. Perfectly okay to discuss that in an interview, but to list that out on the resume, not necessary. Um, inappropriate email addresses. You'd be oh. absolutely shocked at how many people still are using um, email addresses that they probably created when they were, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. I'm sure they sounded cute, maybe sexy at that time. Ugh. When you become a professional adult applying for a job, you need to have a professional email address. Resumes can be so tricky for people who are just starting out in their career. So when someone doesn't have a lot of relevant work experience for the job they want, how do you tell them to approach their resume? I do this both for someone entry level and someone that has been in the work world for 20 years is to build a folder of all the things that you've done. I call it my kudos file. And every single time I have done something, I've won an award, I've been recognized on a project or, you know, being the sandwich artist of the month, I sweep that into a folder that if I'm sitting down to rebuild or even build a resume for the very first time, I can open up that folder and I can access all the things that I maybe have done well. It's hard to just sit down in front of a computer and create a resume, especially when you're entry level. But you'd be surprised at how many accomplishments, projects, things that you've been involved in or that you've done well that when you've got it all put together, that you could sit down and build something with. That kudos folder will help a ton, a lot more than you think, because you know, entry level or 10, 20 years of experience, you'll forget a lot of what you do in the day-to-day. You forget a lot. And going back through that file from time to time reminds you what a great person you are, what great skills you have, what you were responsible for, And then it makes it that much easier to pump that information into a resume to help sell yourself. Do you still keep a kudos folder? I do to this day. Even if my boss sends me an email that says, really great job on landing this project and delivering these results, I sweep that email over. I may never use it. I may never have to build another resume. But if I do, it'll help me organize my thoughts. If I do, it'll be like, oh, yeah. Now I remember how I delivered on that project. I still have a kudos folder. It's got thousands and thousands of emails in it. But someday maybe I'll just (laughs) look back and, you know, just feel great about my time here. Yeah, maybe it'll just be a fun afternoon for you one day. Exactly. (laughs) So Michelle says, optimize your resume to include the keywords from the job description and get specific with those action verbs and measurable results. While you're at it, keep track of your wins and use them to sing your own praises. I liked hearing that recruiters are looking to screen candidates in and not out, so give them a good reason to put you in the yes pile. Next time on the show, what if you're not the one who's changing jobs, but your boss is? Your new priority might become figuring out your new manager, how to make them like you, trust you, and see your value. Plus, how do you get on their good side fast? More on how to do it next week. Like the show? Tell your friends to subscribe and give us a five-star review on your favorite platform. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer and composed our theme music. I'm Erin Delmore. See you next time.